The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now, on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem, to redeem Jerusalem. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one God, holy and undivided Trinity. Amen. When we divided the preaching schedule by dates earlier this year, I had no idea that I would be preaching on this gospel, which is one of my absolute favorites. And like many preachers who haven't preached their whole way through the three-year lectionary cycle, it's very easy to get tantalized by all these different possibilities. The imagery, the language, the mystery, 
what to focus on. Thus, with all of this passion and excitement brewing, it was with some surprise that as I prayed with this gospel this week, I kept thinking of just one thing. Former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. (laughs) So bear with me. Some of you may recall an infamous response he gave during a press briefing in 2002 at the beginning of the Second Iraq War. There was a serious question posed uh, on the, about the quality of American intelligence in confirming that the Iraqi government was indeed supplying weapons of mass destruction to terrorist groups. The reporter asked, how do we know that this is happening? Most of the evidence suggests that this is, in fact, not happening. Rumsfeld seemed a bit stymied, and he offered this in reply. These are his words, not mine. Quote, Reports that say something hasn't happened are always interesting to me. Because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things that we know that we know. We also know that there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. (laughs) But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones that we don't know, we don't know. End quote. (laughs) This quote was blasted from many fronts. Naturally, it was condemned as blathering obscuration by opponents to the war, derided as inside the beltway speak by populist pundits both left and right, and panned endlessly by the late-night talk show hosts. However, a quieter wave of rhetorical approval, if not political approval necessarily, came from linguists and theorists of various stripes. Rumsfeld had, perhaps even unintentionally, offered a succinct, clear, and correct statement of the various categories of our relationship to our own knowledge. Even for those who did not agree with this framing of the war, acknowledged that this quote, while seeming to be gobbledygook at first glance, was actually a helpful insight. The known knowns, the unknown knowns, I'm sorry, the known knowns, the known unknowns, and unknown unknowns were indispensable. Grammatically, at least, Donald Rumsfeld was right. So let's set aside the context of this quote and quickly look at these three categories and think of how they might apply in our lives. First, the known knowns. Things that we know, and we know that we know them. It's pretty straightforward. Things like the Red Sox won yesterday. This is true. This is a church, etc. Known knowns. Pretty straightforward. Next, the known unknowns. Hmm. This one is a bit trickier. 
In this category, we could consider things that we could know or that we might want to know, but that we do not, in fact, know. For instance, I know that everyone in this room has a birthday, but I do not know each one of your birthdays. And I know that I do not know. So this is a known unknown for me. And only Ann Lynch has it as a known known. <laughs> the last category that Rumsfeld mentions are the unknown unknowns. The things we don't know that we couldn't possibly know that we needed to know. In other words, the completely unexpected. For example, right now, I don't know that there is a storm in Florida today that will blow up the coast to rain on us this coming Wednesday. That's an unknown unknown. But when I'm stuck outside without my umbrella on Wednesday, I will wish that I had known about that storm in Florida today. But today, I don't know that I should care. So these are the three categories that capture this interesting relationship to our own knowledge. The known known, the unknown known, and the unknown unknown. But beyond being a fun tongue twister or party game, why does this matter? It matters because I believe there is a fourth category. The one that Rumsfeld did not mention, presumably because at first glance, it doesn't make too much sense. And that is the unknown known. What would it mean not to know something we already know? I believe that this unknown known is at the heart of today's gospel. When we encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he is radically unknown, yet also completely known. I imagine that you've puzzled over this main mystery of the text before, as I have. It's a simple question. Why don't these disciples recognize Jesus? I used to think that Jesus really had a great sense of timing, that he liked to teach by surprise. I used to imagine him walking along with some kind of magical Groucho Marx glasses, a ridiculous heavenly disguise that throws the disciples off of his scent until Jesus is ready for that big reveal. The passive voice of the Greek text lends itself to this sort of reading. Luke tells us that as the two disciples walked, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So what was it that was keeping their eyes from recognizing Jesus? Well, it may well have been Jesus' disguise, or for those of you who are familiar with Star Wars, we might think of this as one of Jesus' Jedi mind trick moments. However, we might also read this 
as the disciples' unwillingness or inability to know Jesus in this new, resurrected way. At the end of the story, after Jesus has been revealed, these disciples say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? As they walk along that road to Emmaus, they know it is Jesus. But they do not allow themselves to believe in the resurrection. Jesus, walking by their side, is so familiar, so intimately known, yet they cannot permit themselves to see him. And thus, he remains unknown. Why can't the disciples allow themselves to see him? Well, they're frightened for their lives. They're disgraced followers of a failed rabbi revolutionary. They're mourning the loss of their teacher and friend. They are confused because their other friends have gone crazy and are running around telling wild stories that he isn't really dead. But most of all, they're probably walking on their way to Emmaus, wondering why they wasted these last few years. And how are they going to come up with a plan for what to do next? in their lives. They're caught up in anxieties, fears, doubts, projected plans, and remembered sadnesses and anger. Their minds are on that loop. And sure, some of what they're thinking is unique to their situation, but most of it is all too familiar to me. They're trying to figure it out, to make sense of it all, but their thoughts and emotions are roiling within them. It is not their fault, but they're clearly stuck in mental and emotional projections. They cannot see what is in front of their eyes. And some of this is coming from within. It's the personal baggage. And we should all be familiar with that. But I think it's also important to say that some of the unknowing of Jesus comes from lenses, comes from presuppositions that this cannot be Jesus walking next to them. They know that. And they don't really take full stock of the fact that that is what is keeping them from seeing the truth. These lenses are lenses that we live with in this day. Those kinds of interactions where we see a person and we automatically, without thinking about it, without trying, without even intending it, have categories based on race, sex, gender expression, presumed sexuality, so on and so on. When a person is holding a sign that you've read a hundred times, homeless veteran, please help, you really see that person. Or do you know? Because you've had this interaction dozens of times before, it's awkward, it's weird. You see them through a lens. You unknow them. Hmm? I do. 
wish it didn't. Or encounter a young person or an older person or a Hispanic person or a black person or a white person. Man, woman, gay, straight. Somebody who just doesn't quite fit in either of those gender categories. And you say, oh, it's going to be one of those kinds of interactions before you even really see that person. It's almost impossible not to do this kind of unknowing. Yet, I hope with you, and we know for these disciples, that something still burns within. Something in them knows that not all is as it seems. That they're missing something as they walk with this stranger. They know something. They can't put their finger on it, but it's a familiarity. And it's this sense that leads them to invite him to a meal, which is a very intimate invitation to a complete stranger. This is a chance taken on a hunch, a gut feeling sort of knowing. And it's at that meal that Jesus becomes the known known in the breaking of the bread. And here is another important piece of the story. Because as much of the unknown known comes from within, in our baggage, our projections, the things that keep us from actually seeing and knowing, there is something about the resurrection life that cannot be fully known as well. After they see Jesus as Jesus, after they know him, he disappears immediately, vanishes. They knew Jesus. We know Jesus fully and completely. But we can never know the full meaning of the resurrection and the new life. We cannot hold it. We cannot contain it. We cannot get it all at once. In this life, we are only afforded a glimpse, a taste. Some of it has to remain unknown in order to be the new life, to lead us on to that next moment, that next chance encounter with this unknown known. Amen.